Welcome back to The Flowering Compass, a team's journey to self-discovery. My name is Maddie Seal, and today on the show we have Alexa Glazer. Alexa is a speaker, author, and adventurer. For about a year, Alexa lived out of her van, traveling around and speaking at schools and conventions. She's the author of a wonderful book, which I recommend you check out, called Living the Dream, Today Because Tomorrow is Not Promised. In her book, Living the Dream, she talks about the death of her father, who was her biggest supporter, and many other challenges she had to face and overcome. Alexa has one of the biggest hearts you'll ever meet, with a, goal, with a goal to connect with people and inspire them to live their dreams. She hopes to start connecting with people on a more personal level and write another book. Welcome to the show, welcome to the show today, Alexa. How are you doing? So good. That was such a warm welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited you're here too. So um, could you give us a bit of background about yourself? Anything I didn't mention that you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, you really did amazing there. That was such a nice intro. But yes, my name's Alexa. I am, as she said, a speaker, author, and I was a full-time adventurer. So I just kind of recently am giving that portion of my life up just because of the state of the world. And I'm someone who really just wants to honor my gut feelings. And right now, being home in Ohio with my family and kind of getting back on my feet is what feels right. Um, still will adventure and travel all the time, but really focusing on kind of coaching people one-on-one, still speaking and want to write another book. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, beautiful intro for yourself. Um, that's, yeah, that's so cool that you want to write another book. What do you, what do you think your um, next book may be about? Honestly, I kind of would like this next book to be a little bit of a redemption story. And what I mean by that, when anyone asks me what my first book was about, um, I always start by saying my first book was a coping mechanism when I lost my dad. And my dad has been the biggest driver in living the way that I do now. And what I mean by that is I actually live and I do more than exist because I've realized that life can be gone and literally the snap of our fingers. And so I really did. I started writing as a coping mechanism. And after about a year of writing, I was like, I'm going to write something with a little bit more intention because at that point it was physical proof of where I was, where I'd been and where I was going all emotionally. Right. And after that year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to write a book and I just want to help people because in that year I had felt so alone and that nobody else could possibly be going through what I was going through. And I learned that when you share your story, that that is what connects you with other people. And it's what allows you to be more human and it's what allows other people to be more human. And so really this um, redemption I kind of want to write is just how you can keep living through grief and loss and you can find yourself and how self-discovery is such an important piece of the way that we should be living. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so amazing. I didn't, cause your book is absolutely amazing. I love your Thank book. You. I think I've read it twice and I'm about to start my third read. I absolutely love your book. You have such an amazing book. It's beautiful. Thank you. I love it. Um, and I never, I never knew that. That's so amazing. Because writing, I have several friends who absolutely love to write, and they talk about how writing is such a coping mechanism for you. And I never knew that 
you know, that was how your book started was this, this coping, me- coping mechanism. And I wanted just to ask you, cause you talked about this a lot when you came to the convention. Um, and this was just something that stood out to me is what does living the dream mean to you? Yeah. So I think, things. yeah, growing up, I, I honestly felt like living the dream was kind of a sarcastic thing people said to pretend that they were living their dream life. And so I kind of blew it off if I'm going to be honest. And it was something my dad said daily. If anyone asked like, Hey, Phil, how are you doing? He'd always be like, just live in the dream. And so it kind of just became the staple in our family. But after my dad had passed away, I realized what live in the dream truly meant and how it also changes for people and how it's different for every single person. So I look at live in the dream as something that's not our end all be all, but something that we're living every single day. And it's not the glitz and glam of life, but it's just whatever your purpose is, whatever makes you feel good. And so I kind of picked five things that I felt encompassed living the dream because people also think when you say I'm living the dream, they think oh, that, that you're like a trust fund baby, right? Or you got a lot of money or life is easy and it's not hard. And I have learned that it's sacrifice, the grind, humility, happiness, and small victories. And so living the dream is kind of this ebb and flow, but I think you start to learn what living the dream is through your hardships. You don't learn what living the dream is through cloud nine moments. And that's definitely been challenged more than once in my life. And I honestly think with the state of the world right now, um, my views have even changed on living the dream even more so where I just want to be more intentional. And I really want to stress how living the dream is different for everybody. And it's also easier and harder for people to attain based on how they live their life or how they grew up or, you know, all these different kind of bubbles we put ourselves in. And so it's been a really interesting experience because I see myself evolving through the process and I see my view on living the dream evolve as we go on. It's been very interesting. Wow. Yeah, for sure. How, you know, living the dream, your perception idea can evolve and change. And so you talk about how you wrote the book in different pieces because it was this way of coping. What was your, what was your process for that just overall after you realized that like, whoa, like what was your, what was the realization that like, I'm going to actually turn this to a, into a book? When was that moment? Yeah. So I honestly remember the day that I said that I was going to write the book and I kind of just was journaling everyone. Like sometimes it'd be a sentence. Other times it would be pages long. Sometimes it was voice memos. Sometimes it was on my um, computer. Sometimes it was on my phone. It really, there was no rhyme or reason. It was just a way for me to get my thoughts out into the universe and move forward. But it was, yeah, one day in particular, I just, I had read something about like full circle moments and how we can connect the dots backwards. And it was just in that where it was the first time I felt like I could help someone. And the first time I felt like I wasn't so alone. And so I have someone in my life who was, he's a mentor, but I call him dad number two. And I marched into his office that day and I literally, the first thing I said to him was, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to help people. And he was like, okay, do you have a plan? And I was like, not really, but I'm going to do it. And it's going to be done in a year, which it wasn't done in a year. Um, But that is totally okay. And I just kind of wrote, like I said, there's not really a rhyme or reason. I didn't write it in any specific order. 
Some of the chapters were blogs I had written that I extended, and I actually just finished my audiobook a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to be launching that to the world um, in a couple weeks. So that's been super exciting and an interesting process as well. Yeah. When you were like, when you were, went back through and kind of read your book to record the audiobook, was it like kind of just memories bubbling back up again? Oh like- my goodness. Yes. It was honestly very emotionally, mentally, and physically exhausting, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I am currently back home at my parents' house that I grew up in, and being home as it is is an emotional experience because the big part of this home is missing. Um, but recording it, yes, I relived everything. I relived, you know, my dad's passing. I relived ex-boyfriends. I relived college experiences and just everything I felt, um, as I was writing it, I relived, but also again, how I've said, like I evolved since then. So as I was reading it, there was times I extended on chapters of kind of like where I am now, what I'm doing, how I feel. Um, but it was, it was an exhausting experience. I'm not going to lie. And it was also extremely therapeutic. It was, it's beautiful. And there's a ton of vulnerability in the way that I read it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really excited to listen to it. Hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you, so you talk a lot about, especially in your book, all the lessons that you've learned from your dad, like, you know, discipline, the grind, just all these different amazing lessons. And what would you say is the most what would you say is the biggest and most impactful lesson you've learned from him and how does it still help you today? Yeah. Um, probably it's all about relationships. This is something my dad said since I was younger and I used to roll my eyes when he said it, he was the social butterfly. He could have been the mayor. Everyone knew him. He could talk to a wall and it would talk back somehow. But as I have grown up, I have realized how it is and how special it is to be able to connect with people because that's what I think he meant by it was not just necessarily a relationship um like a long-term relationship this could be a relationship like you and I had where you had the courage to come up to me at this conference this convention with 2,000 people there and you had the courage to come talk to me and form a relationship with me and connect with me and share part of your story. And that to me is what he meant by that is having the courage to just share stories and the possibility of keeping that connection moving forward. And basically that being said, I've had some of my best connections, best experiences or opportunities from people I kind of met in passing, whether that was me at the coffee shop who would point out someone's shirt, say that I like their shirt, and then that ended up giving me my first speaking opportunity or traveling across the country. And, you know, it's such a small world. And so I have to say that that's been the most valuable and also the most rewarding because hearing people's stories is so special, so special. Yeah, I agree. Um, And another thing I want to talk about that you mention a lot in your book is you were a dancer growing up Yes, I and, was. You, and you always thought that you were going and you talk about how in your book you always wanted to be a dancer when you grew up mm-hmm. then that kind of like changed could you go into detail about why and just what affected that yeah absolutely so I started dancing at the age of three it was my life and in high school I danced every single day probably 40 hours a week um, and then when I went to college I was a collegiate dancer I was on the dance team and I also my 
minored in dance. And so it was my everything. But in eighth grade, I started having back injuries. And every couple years, something new would happen and I'd feel good and then not feel good. And so basically by my last year of dancing on in college, I had um, a stress fracture, a fracture, and a herniated disc. And so I kind of decided dancing professionally is probably not the best thing for me. Um, I was in the most pain ever. I have a really high pain tolerance, but the amount of times I wanted to cry over this was unbelievable. And I felt like a 25-year-old living in an 80-year-old's body. It was physically hard to walk. And then I stopped dancing and just was working out, doing therapy. My back was feeling great. And then one day I woke up and couldn't get out of bed, couldn't put my pants on. It was difficult to walk, couldn't turn the steering wheel of my car. And my legs and feet went numb for two weeks. And so I basically was like, I need to go to the doctor. Um, and I got back surgery a couple months after that. And so I have four rods, or I'm sorry, two rods, four screws in my back now. I'm like Iron Woman. And that kind of dance is still a huge part of me. I love watching it. I still teach every now and again. I still move my body, but it just looks a lot different. But it's funny because I would have never thought that I wouldn't want to dance. Like, again, that was my dream. I talk about it all the time in the book. And that just proves how things like shift and pivot. But dance was such a huge part of my life. And it taught me so many life lessons that I've brought into my speaking and my writing and in my coaching and all that stuff. After you realized that you weren't able to dance, um, how did that affect you more on kind of like not an emotional level, but like on like a, like a self-identity level, like this thing I've wanted to do forever and ever, I all of a sudden can't do. Like, how did it affect you then? Like, did you feel really lost or? Mm, yes, it was so hard for a long time. I'd have to say when I stopped dancing after college, that was my first kind of identity loss in terms of dance because I could still do it. I just wasn't doing it as much. And then when my back really got bad and I had back surgery, the reality of that situation was I had to learn how to walk again. I couldn't bend, lift, or twist anything for seven weeks. I couldn't flex my feet for a year. And so I really struggled for, honestly, about two years after my back surgery. If I'm being super honest with you, I probably haven't started feeling comfortable in my body. Um since more recently in the past couple of months, it's something I have really been struggling with because you're used to your body moving a certain way. You're used to your body looking a certain way. And again, you have this idea in your mind for so long that you're going to be something that's almost physically impossible. I hate the word impossible, but it's to that point where I'm old enough to know I shouldn't do something and I need to actually not do the thing um, than being a little reckless and doing it anyway. Otherwise, I'm going to be sorry and pay for it sooner rather than later. But it's been hard. And I think the, the biggest takeaway from that is validating your feelings, but then looking at them and seeing what the truth is and what are the facts. Because I think a lot of times when we lose our identity, we tell ourselves all these negative things and we have a lot of self-hate, but where's the truth actually in that? And it's, it's hard to find the truth. And so you have to like actually sit down and validate. It's okay that I'm feeling this way, but I can't sit in this pity forever. So feel it and then move on sister and find out the truths. And you are still an amazing, beautiful human being, even though you can't dance professionally. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's a really powerful message that you just need to, you know, sometimes just get past all this because, 
you know, especially as teens, we tend to have a lot of self-hate towards ourselves, just like beating ourselves down constantly. Um, And that's a really important message is to just get past all this and say, okay, where is the truth? Is that true? Um, Or is it just what I'm telling myself? And after you became a dancer, because it's kind of like dancing and and being like an empowerment coach and life coach are kind of two vastly different things. So how'd you get from one point to the other? Yeah. Ooh, you were asking good questions, sister. Um, and I love this question, but I would say that growing up, I told stories through movement and I told stories through the shapes of my body, through the music that I danced to. And for a long time, I thought that that was like the best way to tell stories. And it was really nice too, because people never knew the story I was actually telling. So people didn't know how happy I was or how sad I was because they interpreted my movement in any way that they wanted, right? And so now that I don't dance, I am still a storyteller, but with words written and spoken. And that's been a challenge because it's taken this new sense of vulnerability where I used to think like moving my body in a certain way and dancing to this beautiful, vulnerable music and all these things. I thought that was intense and like, again, this super level of vulnerability, but actually writing down your words, actually sharing your story and getting the point across of what I actually mean and for people to hear has been such an experience. And so now I like being able to do all of those things. And it's been really magical to, to realize that I've been a storyteller my entire life. But again, this evolution of how I told stories um, has been just wild. Wow. Why do you think before you felt more comfortable or you thought that telling um, stories through the way you danced, why did you like that more? I think it was a way to hide myself a little bit. It was a way to hide some hurt that I was feeling or the pain that other people kind of brought into my life. I look at even when I lost my dad, I was still dancing at that time. And I had realized that I didn't necessarily want to share that part about me. I talked about my dad all the time, but I didn't want to share the feelings that were really lingering inside of me because they were heavy. And like I said, they were painful. And I thought that that was going to scare people off, especially because I was always the girl who was super motivating and super happy all the time and always had a positive outlook. And so I was afraid to not show up as that person. And so dance is really special because I could kind of fake it a little bit. I danced harder and I danced with a different intention, but what was going on on my face or on my body, people didn't really know what was really happening inside. And then I reached a point where I wanted to give people all of me or none of me because I realized that if people didn't like the part about me that was me losing my dad and how it changed me, And I didn't really want them in my life because my dad has been the most important person ever, such a big impact on me. And so if someone's uncomfortable by that heaviness that at times six years later still gets brought up, then again, I don't really want them and they don't really deserve a place in in my, in my vessel of a body, I guess you can say, or my mind or whatever it is. Um, And so I think that's been the difference and why I wanted to hide behind movement for so long. Yeah. And that's really powerful. So it was, would you say it was kind of like coping almost? A hundred percent. Dance was like therapy. 
it was free therapy because you can turn on music whenever you want and you can move your body and not have to talk about it and not have people ask questions. It was just like you and your stories in your body. Wow. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of developed over time into this writing. Mm-hmm. Where again, I wanted to give people all of me or none of me at that point where I was like, I was being a little bit of a coward. I get, I, again, I love to dance still and it's so powerful, but again, I just wanted to share more of me because I knew other people were, were feeling similar to how I was feeling or honestly feeling even heavier than I was feeling. Um, and again, personal experience to me is the best advice and the best way to connect with one another. And so I felt like if I was hiding these small pieces or these big pieces of myself, I, I wasn't being fair. I wasn't, it wasn't sharing enough of me and it wasn't allowing people to share with me. Yeah. I completely agree that, you know, putting ourselves out there and being vulnerable is the easiest way or the best way, I suppose, is the word to connect with people because then you can really get, you just, you are able to connect on a different level when someone opens themselves up to be vulnerable like that. Mm-hmm. And you travel around a lot. And a lot. A lot. And mm-hmm. um, from what I've seen, you tend to speak to a lot, at a lot of schools and a lot of school conventions. So like high schoolers, uh, junior high, sometimes even elementary kids. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you choose to focus on and talk to more of the younger generation? I think that the younger generation is going to be the people that actually change the world. Um, I think my generation, the millennials, I think we really changed the game. But in order for the world to actually change, which in my personal opinion, it needs to do a lot of changing. Um, It has to be us showing you that it's okay to change the game, but then you actually acting on that and making change and knowing that you don't have to, you know, follow these checklists that society gives you, that your parents give you, that your teachers give you, but it's to really color outside the lines and to do it yourself. I talk a lot about living the dream and I talk a lot about coming outside the lines, but I think most recently I have wanted to make everyone in the room feel seen heard and loved. That is like my mission. It gives me chills, honestly. And I think a lot of times you go to schools and, you know, the jocks get talked about all the time and the cheerleaders and the people who get straight A's and, you know, the ones that are in student council or it's just like everyone who like fits in a group. Well, we all are connected, but not everyone is in a certain group. And so it's like, I want to be able to speak to everyone. And I want everyone to feel like they can finally be heard and seen because their opinion matters, their voice matters. And so it's like, I want to sit down for those people so they can finally stand up and they can share their heart and they can share those things that they're super courageous to do. Um, I know at your convention, which I was flabbergasted by how many people were courageous enough to say things, but I do, I really try to challenge your generation to use your voice um, because too many people tell us that we can't and too many people tell us to sit down and too many people tell us that we're wrong. And I don't agree with that. And I want you guys to, you know, feel empowered to say the things that are truly going to change the world. Wow. And how did you come upon that realization? Where, what, was there a moment where you were like, I need to talk to the younger generation or the process? I think that, there, I think that there's, there's been a lot, honestly. 
Um, it's been a gradual process, but there's one time in particular, I was speaking at an event and this was a probably a 12 year old, I want to say in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. And this young boy at the end of my speech, I basically was, and I did this at yours too. I always do it because I, I mean it. Um, I was like, everyone take a piece of my heart. I want you to take me with you. And this little boy raised his hand and he was like, I want to take a piece of your heart, Alexa, but I can't. I was like, why? Why can't you take a piece of my heart? I'm telling you to take a piece of my heart. And he was like, if we all take a piece of your heart, what are you going to have left for you? And I was like, oh my gosh, this little boy just broke my heart and made my heart so big all in the same sense. And I had told him in that moment, I realized when I'm giving people a piece of my heart, you guys don't realize what you're giving me in return. And that is so special. It's like being around people who have this even exchange where you don't even know that you're giving, but you are. So I think that was one moment. Another moment, I taught kindergarten for a year, a year ago. And I have five and six year olds in my class. And that was when I really realized that life doesn't stop for anyone. It doesn't discriminate. And I had this little five-year-old, this sweetie, she, her name was Olivia. And the one day she came over to me and like hugged my side. And I was like, Olivia, what's wrong? Like, you seem so sad today. And she was like, I am. I really miss my grandpa and I really miss my brother. And these are kindergartners. So a lot of times they miss their mom when they drop them off. And in two seconds, they already miss them, right? They're kindergartners. That's, that's totally fine. And so I was like, oh, our grandpa and brother picking you up at the end of the day. Are you going over there? Are you going to see him? And she was like, no, um, I see my grandpa in the sun and I see my brother in rainbows. And I was like, my goodness, this poor five-year-old has already been through so much of life at five years old. And for that moment, I'm like, I'm so grateful she said it to me because I was able to not run away from the conversation where a lot of people would because it's scary and it's heavy and it's a five-year-old. And I had told her in that moment, well, my dad in rainbows and I don't see him in the sun, but I see my dad in cardinals, the bird. And I was like, so I'm pretty sure that they're all hanging out right now. And it completely changed her mood. She like ran off and went and played with her friends. But that was just a moment where I'm like, these younger generations, they need people to help them and to know that they're not alone and to, again, allow them to be courageous enough. Because when you have things happen to you at five, at 14, at 18, at 21, like me, you know, you need people to have your back and you need people to remind you that, you know, you're not okay right now and you might not be in a month, but eventually you will be. And then again, you're probably going to be really sad, but then you'll smile again. And it's, it's okay. But I just, I want to be there for, for people that are going through things and also people who aren't going through things yet. But that's, that's important to me. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful and really amazing. And that was, you know, a big reason, kind of side tangent, but a big reason why I started this podcast is because I think that, you know, so many people feel alone and I think it's really hard to have these hard conversations, um, you know, like this, this idea of, of death. It's something that's really hard to, to, to handle, especially like a five-year-old, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's insane. And that's so amazing that you were able to sit down and really talk with her um, and be there for her because you're right. So many people will run away from the conversation because they're like, ah, I don't know what to say. I don't want to make this too scary. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um we need to not be afraid to have these kind of bigger conversations 
with the younger generation. So that's really important and amazing. Yeah. Um, and you're starting a podcast. I am. It's Which coming is, out August 5th. It's right around the corner for us. Very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. And what will it be about? Um, so honestly, kind of what you said, but for adults a little bit. So we want to have, it's called Chasing Alignment. And basically we think alignment is this super curvy, windy road that you just have to follow. And that is how you are aligned. Because when you go off this path, when you're not in a straight line, that's when you find something beautiful. And when that's done suiting you, you move on and you go off the path again and you find something else that suits you. So we want to give women permission to be who they want to be and be courageous enough to do the things that they want to do, but to have these messy conversations. So we want to say the things people are too scared to say out loud or these thoughts that they're having that make them uncomfortable. We want to bring those conversations to life so that they feel like they're not, not normal, like that these thoughts are okay. And again, validate people's feelings in a sense and find the truths and the lies within that and move forward. So we're wow. super excited for it. Yeah, that's really, really exciting. And who are you doing this with? So my friend Josie, she actually lives in Montana. We met, honestly, not that long ago, like six months ago. We'd only ever been together in person one time, except for this time in Montana. And she is just a beautiful soul. She's amazing. Um, and so I'm so excited to, to do this with her. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and what inspired you to start this podcast? her and I just anytime we had a conversation it was completely unfiltered there was never any judgment and we were like these conversations other people are wishing that they could have and they're just too scared to have them and again to say things without the judgment there is so special because I mean so many people just judge everything that you say or do and so that's kind of why we wanted to bring them to life Wow. Yeah, that's really important and powerful. Thank you. And where are you on your journey to self-discovery? And another question I have is just how have you stayed on your feet through all of this? Because you've been through a lot, you know, with losing your dad and you were bullied when you were younger. You've just been through a lot. So how have you stayed on your feet and just where are you on your journey to self-discovery? Yeah, I think with self-discovery, when you begin the journey, you realize it's never going to be over. And I think once you realize it's never going to be over, that's when the magic actually happens. And I feel like right when I feel like I have things figured out, then the universe decides that they want to shake things up a bit. And I learn even more about myself. And that being said, even in the last four months of this worldwide pandemic and being quarantined and giving up my van and living in a house again and being surrounded by family, I've unpacked a lot of traumas, I guess we could say. I don't really love the word traumas. It's very heavy, but it's also very true. And just feelings that have stayed with me that I didn't really know were with me from past relationships and friendships and family members and all this, all these different types of things. And so I am ever evolving and that is so freaking cool if I'm being honest. Um, and then how have I stayed on my feet? I I walk barefoot a lot. <laughs> so I, what I mean by that is I, I just try to be where my feet are. And sometimes where your feet are is uncomfortable. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes you step on a rock. And sometimes 
it feels really nice, but rarely. But it's just the point is to just be where your feet are and not try to be somewhere else. And so I think that's been the most important thing for me is to, when I am in a state of discomfort and when I don't necessarily love where my feet are, it's to just ground yourself. And again, it's all about validating those feelings. So I think that is like my biggest advice for kind of anyone in that sense is to just be where your feet are because that's exactly where you're supposed to be, no matter how painful or how amazing it is. Yeah. Wow. And then what is one of the biggest challenges you've come across in discovering who you are? Hmm. That's a good question. Oh, boundaries for me, I think. Um, I am like a recovering people pleaser. I do everything for everyone else. And so it's really hard for, for me to do things for myself. And so same thing in the past probably four months, I've really worked on boundaries and setting them and making sure I'm giving myself me time and, and putting my phone away and getting my nose in a book again. I'm a huge book nerd and I kind of took a break for a year because life got the best of me, but that was something that made me feel really good. And so reminding myself what feels good and why it feels good and making sure that those things are in my life and then saying goodbye to things that don't feel good. I mean, how many times does a friend ask you to go do something and your your gut instantly is like, no, but you shout out yes. Yes, because of FOMO or whatever reason. And so I've really tried to make sure whatever the gut feeling is, is that's how I respond to, to everything. Yeah. And how have you, cause I struggle a lot with being a people pleaser and I know a lot of friends that do, how have you just really like, cause it's, it's really hard to stop being a people pleaser. Cause you're just so concerned in what other people say and you just want to make others happy and you want to be there for other people, even when you know, you, you know, you shouldn't necessarily be because you need to be there for yourself right now. Like, how have you, how have you been able to overcome that? Yeah, it's, it's hard, honestly, but I think to keep reminding myself, it feels better in the long run to do what's best for me rather than the short run. And again, that's why I think why our gut tells us no, but we say yes, because we're like, I don't want to miss this, or I don't want to disappoint them. But then you realize you're disappointing yourself and you're missing out on the thing that you actually wanted to do. And maybe that thing you actually wanted to do was to read a book or to just listen to music or watch a TV show or just be with your family. And we think because those things don't sound as exciting that they're not. But again, it's reminding yourself what feels right for you. And I think it just takes a lot of practice. And it's even for me, I acknowledged this, but I'm still trying to, to work through it and, and make it happen more consistently because there's definitely still times where I won't want to say yes and I do anyway. Practice. Yeah, just practice. <laughs> um, and what has been the biggest influence on how you see yourself? Mm. Mother nature, honestly. I, like I said, I traveled for the past year and mother nature shows you how small you and your problems are. And by just watching a sunset or standing in front of a ginormous mountain range or being in the middle of the desert where nothing or no one else is out there has been so powerful because 
it lets me just be. I smell differently. I feel differently. I think differently. All of these things. And so I actually want to share this with you. And I was going to wait till um, we were done. But you came up to me at this convention. And you're even in my phone as in between. The in between. And you said that that was your wear. And that really has affected me. And I say that my is the in-between. It's living a gap. And I have to say, you have been part of that. And then dad number two has been part of that because he always says in the gap and you said the in-between. And I used to say somewhere between heaven and earth. So I want you to know that when I tell people about mother nature and how much I enjoy her and I, my thing is chasing sunsets. I could watch a sunset every single night. And since living outside, basically, I made that a priority in my life, but I say that chasing sunsets for me is the moment that I can be in the in-between. It's where everything is still and everything is perfect. And all I'm doing is just existing in that in-between. So thank you for sharing that with me. Wow. Thank you. I, d- I didn't, wow. I didn't know that's, mm-hmm. and wow. <laughs> thank you. I just got, um, then I would love to kind of transition a bit and I'd love to talk about because you were teased and bullied when you were younger and you talked a bit about that when you came to the convention. And so I know you struggled with your body image, you know, Mm -hmm. in the past and how has that affected your body image now? It's something I still have to work through honestly daily. So kind of to give reference, I got big thighs, you guys. They're big and strong and now I love them. But for a long time, I would, yeah, I would get teased and bullied that I had thunder thighs. And I remember, you know, being younger and like literally I'm talking sixth grade younger and crying in the dressing room, trying to put jeans on or crying in the dressing room, putting a bathing suit on. And then being a dancer, you stare at yourself in the mirror for hours and hours a week. And you start to, as you get older, perfect more than just your technique and dance, but you start to perfect your body. And it's, it's really sad, honestly. And it's again, something I'm really working through because I don't want girls and I don't want women to feel that way. And I know with the society we live in, it's so hard not to. And I, I don't have the answer, to be honest, because I still struggle with it. And I would love to find the answer. And if anyone has it, please send it our way, because I would love to know. But that is the same thing. It's, it's practice. It's genuinely being nice to yourself. Um, and it's, it's hard. It is so hard. Um, and I've gone and again, ebbs and flows where I feel good and then I don't feel good and I'm super positive and then I'm negative in my body. So it's been a challenge and, you know, bullying doesn't necessarily stop at a, any certain age. I definitely, like I said, would be bullied or teased about my body when I was younger. But then as an adult, I have been bullied by my own family, by my own blood and cyber bullied and have had the most hateful things ever said to me um, from my own family. And so it's been really interesting because you kind of think that getting bullied is just something that happens when you're in high school and middle school. And I'd have to say it makes you stronger or it can make you weaker. And you got to, again, look at what's happening and know that it can make you stronger. And it also can make you so much kinder because I never want people to feel any, any bad way from something I've said or done. And so I think because I've been bullied and teased, 
I have made sure to never make someone feel that way. Yeah, because I know several different people, and I think every teen to a certain extent struggles with body image, but I definitely feel this kind of like off and on, like some days I can look at myself in the mirror and really be like, you know what, I don't look bad, and then some days I can look at myself in the mirror and I'm just, you know, so it's this, it's like a weird off and on where it's, you know, and especially as a teen, I feel like it's, it's such a flip-flop where I feel so, so positive some days and I feel so, so negative some days. Mm-hmm. So it's just such a flip-flop. And do you have any advice for anyone who is struggling with body image um, or is being teased and or worried about being teased? Yeah, I think when you are already worried about your body image, the best thing and cheesiest thing that you can do is affirm yourself that you are beautiful and affirm yourself that you are unique and that your perfectly imperfect little imperfections are, are made specifically and uniquely for you. And I think when I remind myself that, like, no one else has this, like, no one else looks like me, no one else thinks like me, no one else, you know, has that freckle I have under my eye or whatever. Um, Again, it makes it really special. And it's a practice because sometimes I'll say these things. And if I say them and don't believe it, it doesn't help at all. And again, it's the difference between telling yourself lies and telling yourself truths. And the thing is, that's a truth, but believe it. And that, that's the process. It's hard. So it's repetition, it's practice, and it's, you know, repeating that, looking in the mirror, or writing it down, whatever kind of learner you are. Um, that to me is kind of how you have to do it. And then if you are being bullied, like I said, the biggest advice for me is, I mean, it stinks, but to not react, to, you know, use that of how you treat other people. I just want to make people feel something special and something warm and again loved seen and heard and that is probably a a, because I've been teased or bullied or not felt those things and so it's just looking at the big picture of of what you want people to make how you want them to feel from something you did yeah and I completely agree you know I have friends who have been severely bullied from very young ages and they're just the kindest sweetest people who just care so deeply about the people around them and just the energy that they bring is just so absolutely amazing because they know what it's like to be in such awful positions mm-hmm. that it really just ra- it, it helps them like raise above and be just so kind and so sweet and amazing yeah um and i have one final question for you absolutely. um what advice would you give to someone who is struggling to figure out who they are my advice would be, if you're struggling who you are, to keep moving and to be outside and to be where your feet are. I think that is so important. Again, it's okay to feel small. And it's different. I think feeling small and feeling inferior are two different things. And so being small is okay um, because being small, you can. there's power in that. And so that, yeah, be, be outside, keep moving your body and be where your feet are. Just don't stop because as soon as you stop, up, that's where the world feels like it's ending. And so you just got to keep moving. Wow. And that, that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Alexa. I really means a lot to me. Thank you just so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was 
And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This was so special. And like I said, you are literally in my phone as the in-between. And I know there's a picture of you and I on your on the screen when you when you pop up there. And so this has been so special. I am so proud of you. So proud of you. You're going to do amazing things, sister. Thank amazing. you. And make sure to check out Alexa Glazer's book, Living the Dream, today because tomorrow is not promised. She will be launching her audio book in September, and she will also be launching her very own podcast on August 5th. So make sure to check all of those things out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. This is The Flowering Compass, a teen's journey to self-discovery. I am Maddie Seal. We will be back for another interview soon, and I hope you have a magical day.